Hey, Julie, could you pull up the second song for me real quick? Yeah. Can you, can you go to the next slide? Okay, that's what I was. Um, I, don't, I don't know how it works for y'all, um, but, but I just continue to see how the Lord has been using uh, what we've been in this series in in Malachi and then how Mason's brought certain songs in. Um, and personally, I, I love music. If, you have, if you've been around me long enough, Mason's like quickly chuckling. He's like, he likes old music especially. Um, but I, I, I like all sorts of music, truthfully. Um, but one of the things that we did several years ago as a church, when I got to the church, this, we were fully contemporary. So we were doing like only praise choruses and new songs. Um, and then we started listening to our own kids when we go to other churches or we talk about a hymn. And our kids were like, we don't know that. And even to this day, Juliana, there you are. Um, I was like, I know it's going to be weird for me to, like, everybody's in a different spot. And I was like, my, my family's not right here on the front row. Stuart and um, Evan, will y'all move so Julian and, and Katie can sit right there? Lynn, you and, and, and um, Kelly can stay. No, I'm teasing. Um, so it's good for us to shift, right? It changes our perspectives. Um, so we started doing hymns because I wanted my kids to have hymn foundation in their lives at some level. Because the theology of hymns is so good. And I feel like now theology and other modern worship has started to reflect some of that. But I want to hit a couple things and, and remind you of this as we're getting ready to get, head into the, the final text in Malachi today. Remember, Malachi 3.6 is that key passage. And let's just read that together. It says this, uh, For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. And, and I want to remind you that the letter, or the prophecy, I mean, it starts with this verse, in, in, uh, or this statement in chapter 1, verse 2, I have loved you, says the Lord. And the people say, but how have you loved us? And the whole letter is about the faithfulness of this unchanging God to who we are, our need for His compassion. And so as we were singing this morning, um, this, this hymn, there is no shadow of turning with thee. Where is that from? Does anybody know right away? It's okay. James 1.17 talks about there's no shadow of turning. And so when we're talking about the fact that God is immutable, that he's a God that doesn't change, here in Malachi 3.6 we see that. This is reflecting that same thing. Then we, we talk in the next song, we sang this about um, God being a perfect God. And it makes me think about that theme, that he's not changing. And then in this last song, we sang, I will build my life, uh, I will build my love upon a firm foundation, I think is what it says. Um, and... and I'm thinking about all these things and this fact that we serve a God who is not changing. We need to be thankful for that. That's not what the world says today. We, we live in a society and a culture that looks and says, well, God is constantly changing. The, the technical term is that it's process theology or open theism. And folks, let me say this. I am so glad that your 
life, your prayers do not change the Lord. And that when I go to pray to him or try to relate to him, that I'm trying to hit a moving target. Because if he was learning or being anything other than an immutable, unchanging, perfect God who is a firm foundation for all I have, my life would be a mess. I would have no hope. And so I, I want you to remember these things when we're worshiping. These things do, and we're trying to be very careful. And Mason, I want to say thank you because you're very careful about the doctrine that we're presenting in our worship. It's not just happenstance. And I trust that Mason's walking with the Lord enough that the Holy Spirit's directing him in these things. Just like, and when I say enough, it's because all of us have our, our moments where we're up and down. But fortunately, Mason's heart is the Lord's. And I see that reflected in what he's helping us to do in worship. Bless you, Evan. Um, no more sneezing, okay, because that'll distract me the rest of the morning. Um, so all of that to say... Be thankful for who the Lord is. Let, let us respond and, and let us not just shelf these things through the week. And I know it's easy for me because these are things that I'm, I'm like literally wrestling through for hours at a week on these kind of topics. But it's exciting to think about the, the, the perfect Lord that we serve, this perfect God who is perfect in every way. So when we come to Malachi this morning, here's the title of the message, The Coming of of the Lord, the coming of the Lord. So I want us to read chapter 4. We're going to read um, verses 1 through 6, and I can't wait to get in this message. I hope that this is a, as exciting for you as it is for me as we finish out this letter, or this prophecy. So here's what we read. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Well, I, I hope that as we read this, you remember some of the earlier hermeneutical or interpretive principles that we covered as we've looked through this book. The first one that I would really point to is the idea of what we looked at when we talked about God's immutability. Um, and out of that, you may rem remember talking about analogical language, that which is equivocal versus uh, univocal, uh, but analogical is how the, the scriptures emphasize the, the use of language in a way that we go, this is how the Lord speaks or the, the scriptures speak of him, but it's not exactly lined up. Like, it's, it's, it's in a way that we have to um, reflect on an analogy to understand these things. It's not just literal one for one, okay? And I'm trying to nutshell it. If you don't remember it, you need to just go back and listen to that because I can't unpack that. But here this morning, we're going to see the use of some of these same hermeneutical principles. It's not so much about the analogical stuff, but it's going to be similes and metaphors and some of those things. And it's really important for us to understand these things as we get into the text. 
because what we see right away is the use of simile. So let's look at um, this, this kind of idea. I want to just point these out, and then we're going to use this to kind of spin us in to what the text says. So in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4, it says, For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. So, so that idea of simile is like or as. So like an oven. This day is coming. It's going to be burning like an oven. And then it says further, when all the arrogant evildoers will be stubble, the day that is coming shall set them ablaze, so that it will leave them, uh, and it goes, says the Lord of hosts, that it will leave them neither root uh, nor branch. And then the second metaphor, is, uh, or, um, simile, I'm sorry, is here in verse 2. It says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. So it's interesting to me, these two similes, okay, there's this burning like an oven, or the opposite kind of the end is like leaping like calves. See, there's this, this definite distinction in the pictures, okay? So, so the other part of this is the metaphor that's used. Metaphor is comparing objects without using the idea of like or as, okay, or the words like or as. What is the metaphor that's packaged in between these two similes? Did you catch it? It's in verse 1. Um, it says that the day um, is coming shall set them ablaze. Uh, actually, it's in verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. So isn't that, that, that was like, what in the world? Like if I'm just thinking of this, what does it mean for the S-U-N, the son of righteousness, because to, and, and have healing in its wings? It's like that's got, that's an obvious metaphor of some kind. So with all those things said, I want us to break down those things because the central focus is on this son of righteousness with, and the, with healing in its wings. It's like, what is the picture of this? How does that really play out biblically? So let me, before we get into that, I want to make one more point really clear. And it's, it's an interesting one. How many of you are familiar with this concept on the, of the day of the Lord? Just raise your hands. Okay, several of you are. Good, good. Okay, let me give you a little bit of background about this, first of all. The day of the Lord is a very specific day. And as I went back and started looking at the Hebrew, I, I want to just kind of make this clear. There is the, the article V. It's different in Hebrew language. It's actually like a letter, a Hebrew letter that uh, commits it to that article uh, that we translate in English. Um, but, but it's very specific. And that article is present in every one of the uses of the day of the Lord here. So it is specifically a day. So it's not like any old day that happens. It's very, very specific. And then what's very interesting, and this is why I read all the way through the end of the, the, the chapter, um, if you look in verse 5, it says even more specifically, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. So not only is it a specific day, it's further described. And that description presents this picture of a great and awesome day. So 16 times in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord is referred to, and this is what that specifically means. It means a day of decisive visitation of the Lord. Don't let that escape you. See, so the, the prophecy and the picture of this is this day, this great and awesome day, this one day alone, is going to be presented as a day that the Lord arrives on. So it's apocalyptic. 
in that sense. It's, it's going to be about the end of times in, in a sense where the Lord is coming. It also has to do with this. A day that the wicked will be punished and that the righteous will be delivered. That, that's a huge in, important piece. Don't we see that exactly played out in our text? It's the like a burning oven. There's going to be those that are consumed and then for the righteous, they're going to leave out from the, the, like the pen, they've been released, and they're not in this confined, but they're going to be like calves bouncing through the field. Now, I thought, what does that really look like? So, I mean, with technology today, I actually went out on YouTube and typed, calves leaping in a field. And no joke, there's some British guy out there who's videoed his full-size, they weren't cat. well, maybe they are calves. Because I found this out. So I, you guys know I'm a city boy, okay? So Katie and I, we um, got a, a calf this year um, from one of her farmers. They, they did some stuff. So we got half a calf. I was like, I thought this calf was going to be like, you know, yay big. A calf is actually defined, Brad, you're, you're impressed now that I know something about the cattle, right? A calf is actually the one that has not become pregnant and born a ca uh, another calf. So it's an adult, am I right in this? And, and less than a year old. Okay, I didn't know that part of it. See, I'm still learning. Okay, but it's, it's a full-size steer, or heifer, because steer would not be really cow, right? So I'm showing my city ignorance right now, aren't I? <laughs> I told you, but see, I can learn. So you can correct me. I'll take a lesson from you any day, Brad, okay? Come after the service, you can correct all my errors, and we'll put it out on a separate podcast for everybody. And I, I'm, I'm not mil milk and steer bulls, I guarantee you. I know some of the dif distinctions. But, so I, but here's what, what was so like, crazy for me. Um, when I went and looked at this video, because my mind still is like calf is young, small. But these are full size, less than a year, right around there, cows. Okay, and so when this guy shows the video, they're coming out of their winter pen, and he lets them out from the gate, and they hit the field, and these, you know, I don't know how much they weigh, 2,000 pounds or something, is that about right? A thousand, a thousand. A thousand okay, see, I'm still, like, this is terrible. Um, I should have talked to you before the message today. <laughs> so, these huge animals that I don't want to stand in front of, Okay, they literally are acting like little animals, like young calves, bouncing around, leaping, excited over their freedom. And, and you can just Google that, calves leaping in the field, or, or cows leaping in the field. I, I, I literally watched this thing for three minutes as these cows just frolicked across, and I was like, it's crazy, it's just crazy. But that's the picture, and I want to get to the importance of that in a minute beyond the metaphor of it. So, I think all of this, hopefully I can get us back on track out of my mess, but what we see is on this, this great and awesome day of the Lord, when he visits, there will be both judgment and there will be freedom brought. And we need to like understand how all of this plays around this son of righteousness with healing in its wings. So, what I want us to do is I want us to look over um, at 
If you, if you turn in your Bibles, turn to Psalm 91. So what's interesting, and I, I hope you recognize this in the metaphor, the son of righteousness who visits and initiates this day of the Lord can be none other than Jesus. Th that has got to be a point that I make at the very front of this. Now, let's talk about what the metaphor really like begins with in the, the literal or natural sense of the meaning. What happens every day of our lives with, with the rising of the sun? It, it comes up, right? And that initiates the day when darkness is dispelled as the sun rises in the east and there's newness, okay? With the sun, I, I was thinking about this, we've not had rain for several weeks now. We're supposed to have some big storms today. So the, the, the rain is going to fall. But what is happening? How many of you have yards that you like pay attention to about the grass and those kind of things? My grass has been withering. I've got spots in my yard that are dead. And it's like, I don't want to spend a lot of money watering my grass right now because water costs too much. So I'm waiting on the rain. I know Katie and, and talks to her, the farmers that she works for. They're waiting for rain as they set products in the field. So they, they're longing for the rain. When the sun rises, especially think about this in some desert areas, what does the land look, look like? We can talk, you can talk back. What's it look like in a desert area? Cr say it again, Kelly. Cracked, yeah. It's so dry, it's so scorched that the earth begins to crack because of the lack of moisture. So you think about the sun rising. It certainly brings a scorching environment. What, is, what do we see? Like a burning oven. And what, is, what does it say further than that? It says that there will be stubble that the arrogant and evil doers will be brought to this point of being burned up like in the oven or stubble. I, 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 on a literal sense, I can see the sun doing that. But when it comes to people, it's different until we recognize that the son of righteousness is Jesus who brings judgment upon the arrogant and the evil doers. You see how the metaphor plays out? So let's look at Psalm 91 real quickly. Verses um, 1 through 4. But before we do that, let me, let me back up here for a second. When you think about the, the, the sun scorching the earth and, and bringing judgment in that sense, what does the sun do for people who water the earth or water their plants or who long for warmth? It, it's, it's good for us, right? I think about when you go out in the sun, it provides you vitamins. There's good aspects to the sun, right, that, that it provides for us. We need it in our daily lives. And so that's why also in Malachi 1, I mean four one, we also read um, that uh, actually we see this is in verse 2. This is the idea that they go out leaping like calves, See, when the sun of righteousness rises on those who are righteous, they rejoice at his coming. And it's like those cows that I described leaping out of the winter pen into the spring fields. When the sun of righteousness arrives, we ought to rejoice. And that's part of, I, th I think, why the songs that we were singing this morning remind me of the faithfulness of the Lord. And they make my heart warm. 
They remind me of the faithfulness of the Lord, his love and compassion for me that never fails or changes, that, that makes me want to leap for joy at who he is. Now let's, let's look at Psalm 91 now, because we're going to look at this metaphor about the, the healing in its wings. So, 91, Psalm 91, 1 through 4. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. So you, you hear this imagery, right, of protection and these, these, uh, this, this uh, hope and shadow and, and coolness and a, a proximity. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, verse 3, for he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. Wow. So what we get in this psalm is this picture of the, the healing wings, the one who is the protector and the provider. Here's what's interesting. I did a study just like on the computer looking at um, the scriptures, how many times the word wings comes up and what is it like looking for these relationships. Do you realize there's only like two other places that I'm, we're going to look at and I couldn't really find a lot more. And I didn't exhaust it, okay? But, but I'm, I know this. Most of the time that the wings are represented or are mentioned in scripture, it's actually about power and conquering. But in these three instances we're going to look at today, Psalm 91, verses 1 through 4 being one, it's talking about this healing. And so there's this, this aspect to the metaphor that I think the Lord reveals here in the Psalms as well as in Malachi. And then where we're going to go next is in the book of Ruth. Now this one is, is to me just specifically interesting because of how it ties into to what the use of wings are in Malachi. So let's look at Ruth. It's going to be back towards the front of your Bible. Ruth chapter 2. Ruth chapter 2, give you a minute to get there. Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Now let me give you a little context. If you remember, Ruth is this girl who is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi was a Jew who left uh, with her husband during a, a season of famine in the city of Bethlehem. And so when they went to this country called Moab, the, uh, uh, the sons of, of Naomi married. Ruth is one of those that, her, that Naomi's sons married. When both all the men passed away, when Naomi came back to Bethlehem, hearing that the land had been restored, Ruth decides to stay with her mother-in-law. She basically adopted her faith and values, and so she comes back to Bethlehem. But these ladies are struggling. They're trying to figure out how they're going to survive. And so what happens is there's a, um, a man named Boaz who's a, a family member of Naomi's, and, and, and Naomi has said to Ruth, go glean, like go follow after his workers and just glean what's been kind of dropped or left over in the field. That will be provision for us. So Boaz has taken kind of notice of Ruth's faithfulness to Naomi as her mother-in-law and her work ethic. And so we're seeing the, the, uh, these things revealed. Um, so here we come to this singing where uh, Ruth is and, and uh, Boaz are having this conversation. So let's pick up in verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel. 
under whose wings you have come to take refuge. It's this great picture that Boaz gives to Ruth of the protecting nature and work of God the Father. That he is one that as we draw near to him and trust him, we enter into the protection of his wings. So it's a beautiful picture, but it gets even better. Look over now at Ruth chapter 3. We're going to um, pick up in verse 7. So here's what, and let me give you a little bit more of the context. So Naomi has been following this kind of a, uh, account between Ruth and Boaz, and notice the interest. And she says, there's a way that we can gain more security, but we're going to do this in the right, humble way. You're going to present yourself to him, uh, Ruth, as, as one who is uh, recognizing, because of the relationships, a promise and hope for someone to provide more resources for us and to be a, a different level of relationship. So what you do is you go and you take these steps, and in humility you're going to uh, appeal to him. And so what happens is at the end of a work day, Boaz has gone, he's worked hard, he's uh, basically had some things, had something to drink, and he's going to bed, and then Ruth approaches him. So that's kind of the scene. Now there's a whole lot more that goes on to this that we don't have to unpack, uh, our time to unpack this morning, but I want to get to this main point. So let's pick up in verse 7. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went in, or to lie down at the edge of the heap of grain. Then she, this is Ruth, came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or, or, or rich. And so, and he says then, and now my daughter, do not fear. So what happens in this picture is this covering of the wings that, that Ruth is asking for. She's looking to Boaz to be this kinsman redeemer, this one who is going to be able to provide every need for her, to rescue her from the, the um circumstances and situations that are overwhelming and really something that she can't overcome on her own. This idea of the kinsman redeemer is specifically pointing to Jesus Christ as the kinsman redeemer for us. It, it's specifically addressing how we needed Christ to become incarnate in the flesh, to be like us, yet to be without sin, so that he would redeem us. It's an incredible picture and promise. So here's what I want you to get out of this. Being under the wings of Jesus the healer is the best place that we can be. Do, do you get that? And I want you to hang on that for just a minute. See, what I think is happening in Malachi as he's prophesying using this picture of this son of righteousness who will rise up and bless those who know him, it's, it's this picture of putting them under his wings as the redeemer. Remember the context. Last week we saw in chapter 3 the preferred people, those who were righteous, obeying the, the things of the Lord, who were 
in relationship with one another, talking about the things of the Lord, encouraging one another. These are the same people that right here, I think, are being honored because they're recognizing who this son of righteousness is, really, not just the, the sun rising in the east, but the, the, the Messiah who is going to come, the kinsman redeemer who is going to come, who is going to put his wings over them so that they will have freedom. So, so here's the, the, the great picture. See, all of us, and, and I want you to kind of fall through this metaphor with me real quickly. This morning, I woke up at about 6 o'clock. The sun's coming up early, so it was daylight already. But I know when we went to bed last night at 11 o'clock or so, it was dark outside, right? And, and rising this morning, watching or, or having the sun rise already, the darkness is dispelled. Each of us, we wrestle with the darkness and the struggle of sin and temptation. We, we have, a, every one of us, a need, a longing for the darkness of that to be dispelled. And the only way it's dispelled is through the person of Jesus Christ. Now, certainly, I think we get this even later in the text, and I'll mention this real quickly, as the prophet talks about the law of Moses that has been given in verse, um, let me go back there real quick, make sure I get it right, in verse uh, in verse 4, he talks about the law of the servant Moses, the statutes and rules. Those things certainly help us become aware of our need for sin, but they don't bring the warmth and hope of the kinsman redeemer, do they? They bring the conviction, and certainly we need that conviction, but we need the redemptive power and work of Christ. And so how we come into proximity with Jesus or to Jesus is the key. That we trust Him, that, that we rely upon His work. By grace through faith we have been saved. It's not our own doing, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, right? So, so it's not that we could by any means of our own say, hey, I'm righteous in and of myself. It is simply by the work of Christ. Now, here's where I think it gets even like most interesting. This is the final word of the Lord to the Israelites for 400 years. And it's specifically pointing to the coming of Christ, to this one who, like Elijah, John the Baptist comes and is the forerunner, but is the one Jesus who will come onto the scene and he will conquer. He, he will bring conviction to those that don't walk in righteousness. If they're arrogant or evildoers, they are going to be burned up and scorched, is what it says. There will be no more roots. Isn't that what happened with, with the, the religious and those who were denying Christ when he appeared on the scene? It's like everything Jesus did in relation to them, it, it like cut them to the core. They were constantly confronted with their arrogance, especially. I think about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They wanted nothing to do with the coming Redeemer. Yet Jesus constantly said, there's a different hope. And who longed for him were those that saw their need for Christ. I think back to, to what I shared on Easter, that we have Jesus, a friend of sinners, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. I am so grateful that Jesus loves sinners, me, you. Because all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
And there's none of us that are righteous apart from the work of Christ. And so this message is one of great hope. And I think this is like, if, if I'm thinking like a little bit ahead of where we are as a church body, this is the kind of hope and message that we need to elevate, that we need to cling to, that we need to approach, and we need to stay closely to Christ, like stick closely to him so the wings of his healing impact us on an ongoing daily basis so that as we go out into the community, the hope of who we know Jesus to be and the hope that we possess in this God who has served us faithfully in the person of Christ as a second member of the Godhead, his son, we can share that with others and they too can trust him by grace through faith and know the hope of the gospel. Because we're no different. And we don't need to be judgmental of them. We need to just present the truth and the facts of what the gospel consists of so that they hear that and they too can experience the beauty of the warmth of the sun, the hope that it brings, the healing that the gospel provides us. And let me say this, because you know we're not a, a, a health and wealth and prosperity church. Okay, we're not going to preach those things. I don't even think that this healing necessarily equates to physical healing. That, that could be part of it, but more importantly, it's the spiritual healing that Christ brings because he over, helps us to overcome temptation. He gives us victory over sin. And, and though we certainly hope that there's physical healing that some of us want and need, I go back to what Paul says, that he had this thorn in, the fle in his flesh that he prayed for to be relieved from. He never experienced that. And the truth is, even though we may get physical healing, maybe even, in, and, and I don't think it'll ever happen in this sense, but remember, for Lazarus, he got, he was brought back from the dead. But guess what happened with Lazarus? You don't have to guess. He still died again. So even if we get physical healing, that's momentary. Spiritual healing provides us what? Healing for eternity that we need. It's much more important. And so what we offer our community as we share the hope of the gospel with them is eternal security. So, so again, think about the similes, the, the, the first two. Either they will experience what it means for Jesus to, to arrive in this next coming and they will then be burned up like, an, like chaff or, or um, the, the, the ground in, or, or the products that go into the oven just consume where there's no more stubble. Or they know Christ and they will go leaping like calves in the spring because of the, the new life that is there. And, and that's the beauty of the gospel is that we can present the hope that we have in Christ. And fortunately, there's no more years of silence that we have to wait and deal with. And we have the promise of the New Testament and the fulfillment of these things clearly in the New Testament scriptures of God's covenant faithfulness to us and the love and the compassion that he shows to us that has never changed. What an incredible picture that we have out of the book of Malachi as the Lord comes to the end of the Old Testament period and provides a message of great hope for his people. So I want to encourage you with this. I don't know where you are, what you're dealing with, but 
First of all, if you know someone, because I know most of you in here know where you are in your spiritual condition with the Lord. And honestly, I think everybody in here, I, I know of your testimony at some level, and you're believers. So moving into gospel invitation this morning, I'm not going to do that, but I want to encourage you with this. Think about how these truths do apply to the needs of those who need to hear the, the hope of the gospel so that they can find peace with Christ. And the hope is this, that they would enter into that point of healing under his wings. For us, though, here's the other side of this. Knowing most of us or all of us are believers here, I would challenge you with this. There's still a point where we can get wayward because of temptation and sin in our lives, and we can get distant from the Lord and not experiencing the healing, the spiritual especially healing, that he wants us to experience because we grow distant, because our love and affections for him wane, because we can become stiff and hard-hearted and unrepentant, because we can latch on to things in our lives that that honestly create spiritual darkness for us, that, that make us numb to the hope that we possess in Christ in relation with him. And, and because of that, we also have that need to repent. It's a different kind of repentance, but it's still returning to him and being in proximity with him. Here's, here's the thing, and I, I go back to where we, I kind of started in this message from the, the worship. If God never changes, which is what we believe biblically, he's consistent. He's, he's not moved. We, we often talk about, well, I feel so far away from God, or he feels so far away from me. And we describe that in a way that he's moved off. He doesn't move. His love and compassion never change. Ours does. And that's why we need to be the ones to repent and return to him to, to, to find ourselves moving back under to the, the extent where his wings cover us and we find that healing. So if that's you and you're, you're struggling in some way, with feeling distant from the Lord. Maybe it's this, this kind of old, like, common phrase. We don't feel like our prayers, like, get beyond the ceiling. That's not because the Lord is not present and listening. I assure you. That's because there's things that stand in our way because of us not being right with Him. I want to encourage you, if that's where you are at some level or any level, because it could just be a little bit, there's always room for us to move into better proximity to the Lord and find greater healing because the truth is all of us still wrestle with sin in our hearts and our minds, our lives as a whole. We will not ever escape the power and influence of sin as long as we're walking in this flesh. So don't become arrogant. Don't, don't think, well, I'm, I'm so right. No, be more sensitive every day to your relation with the Lord so that you move back into proximity with Him so that you can find this good healing, the hope of that, and, and the strength of what He wants to provide for us, each of us, in everyday life so that a sun of righteousness is warm. We experience the beauty of that so that our lives are in that, that simile like the calves going out and leaping. Isn't that a good word? I, I just can't imagine how, like if, if you're walking with the Lord at the end of that 400 years and influencing your family, what would that hope be like for you, over your family over that 400 years of silence? At some level, there were those that were experiencing that. 
right? Immediately I think of Elizabeth and Zechariah, right? I think of Mary, that she found favor with the Lord. There were people that were tuned into those things that, that were coming out of the Old Testament. It was good, good news for them. It needs to be good news for us, okay? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for the prophecy of the book of Malachi. Lord, I thank you most of all, not just for the words on the page that were in Hebrew on some uh, piece of uh, skin or vellum or something else at some point in, in the form of a scroll, or the ink that we now have in our Bibles, Lord, it is much more about the Word of God that is living and true, that pierces into to our lives. And the metaphor is that it just divides the bone and the marrow, penetrates in the deepest core of who we are. And it brings hope and it brings healing. And it's about this relationship with you. It's not just some dry truth. It's not just dry information. Lord, it is what transforms us to the deepest core of who we are. And Lord, I pray this morning that for each of us here under the sound of my voice, we would know that when Jesus both came and comes again, it is going to be a powerful event. And Lord, the event is so, um, well, as the scripture says, great and awesome that we need to anticipate that with a longing that is one that, that can be desired because we walk rightly with you. Lord, if we're not walking rightly, it will be intimidating. It, it will be frightening. But Lord, through right fear of the Lord, we know that that day is going to be sweet. And we know that, when, and it's so weird to say, but our faith will at that point become sight. And what is left over for us is the love that our relationship with you is founded on because of your unchanging love for us. I, I, I could just continue to think through all these things in prayer, Lord, but, but what it boils down to, Lord, is, as I want to move towards finishing here, is, is that you are faithful and good and you do not change. And because of those things, we can trust you. So, Father, if there is sin, if there's some temptation that's been overcoming us, will we confess that to you? Will we walk rightly with you and experience the healing for our souls in relation with you? And then will we also fulfill the great commission of sharing that love and good news of Jesus Christ with others so they too can know the hope of knowing Jesus personally as their Savior? So, Father, we pray that as we Think about the sun rising every day. We would also recognize that Jesus is the son of righteousness who came with healing in his wings. Let us rejoice in you and your perfect plans for us and your faithfulness to us so that you are made much of through our lives. We pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake and glory. Amen.